Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. NBA Draft tomorrow. It's NBA Draft Eve today, I guess. 24 hours away from the draft. A lot of people wondering what the Blazers are going to do. A lot of people who follow college basketball wondering about the best players in the draft. For those of you streaming, whether you're listening in California or New York or Florida or Iowa or wherever you call us from, uh, if you have a draft player question, you can tweet at me, at John Canzano BFT, and I will pepper our next guest, who is an expert on college basketball and basketball in general, Tom Crean. Former Indiana coach, former Marquette coach, a guy whose name uh, is going to circulate here as Jobs Open. He's been kind enough to give us some of his time last week, and we're bringing him back for an encore performance. Tom Crean joining us. How are you, man? I'm good, John. Good to be with you. Thanks for having me again. You bet, man. I wanted to get you back. We want to talk about, you know, you've been closely following college basketball in the last couple of years, uh, you know, in one form or fashion or another, and talk about some of the players you've seen. And, the, and of course, the Blazers have the three pick. We've got a lot of Blazer fans listening, kind of wondering what the Blazers are going to do, whether Brandon Miller is a uh, is the wing they've been looking for for a decade, or if Scoot Henderson is a, a player that could play alongside Damian Lillard. And, um, I, you know, maybe, maybe we can start at the top of the draft, Coach. Um, you know, let's start with First of all, Victor Wembanyama, and we'll get to the Blazers in a second. But you know, you've seen some of this kid. He is the consensus one pick. What do you see on tape, and what do you think of him? Well, I think a lot of him, and I think one of the things that there's such a durability to him already. I mean, he played, I think it was 62, 63 games, something like that this year. And from everything I've seen, he played in every one of them. And they just got done playing against Monaco. For a championship, so like this guy's been through everything, plus a trip to the United States to play against the Ignite team, and I think their team got better. Like Bilal Kulave is a guy that could very well end up in the top ten tomorrow night. I think he's probably. I'd be shocked if he's not in the lottery, and it certainly wouldn't shock me if, like I said, he's in the top ten. And he got better all year. Their team got better all year, and I think what he does. He knows how to play with his size. He's got incredible quickness. Like when you look at how quick the ball goes from his chest shoulder area to the rim, there can't be there can't be three or four people in the world that can get it up there quicker, not just because he's that tall, but because he's so quick. And he's got great, great length. He has tremendous instincts to rebound. I mean, whoever is in charge of rebounding in San Antonio, it'd be malpractice for them not to make sure that he's getting to the offensive glass every time because there's times he doesn't do it because he's on the perimeter, but he's so uncanny and, and instinctual at being able to rebound the ball. He's very good for his size and be able to hold you off. Um, he can shoot the ball. He can handle the ball. What I like about him is when he drives it and he passes, he gets out of the way like he slides. He rarely ever charges. Uh, I think he's tired a little bit right now. You could see it in this Monaco series. Like they did a great job of, going into his body and sealing him. And you could see some of his frustration with that and with the referees at times. But he's so young. But I don't think there's any reason, barring injury, that this guy isn't going to live up to, to the hype that, that is surrounds him because he's just got too much skill. 
I, I uh, as you know, Blazer fans have pointed out that you know, they they obviously wanted the number one pick, but there's a history in this city with big guys and injuries, and you br- <laughs> you know you bring up <laughs> you bring up Wembenyama. That's not um, funny. It's not it's, funny. It is. That's just it, unbelievably good. Yeah, that's that's a good line. <laughs> yeah, but it's uh, you know, I I I like that he's playing and he's playing so many games, but. I've heard other people say, hey, maybe if you're the Spurs, you don't want him playing. If you're coaching the Spurs or you're on that staff, how do you feel about him playing all these games? Oh, I feel good about that. I wouldn't be shocked at all if he doesn't play in the summer league, though. I think they go to Sacramento and to Las Vegas. I could easily see them shutting that down. Uh, I think they'll get him in the gym uh, probably as soon as they can. Uh, they'll get him working with a uh, guy, Jimmy Barron Jr., who uh, played overseas, played for his dad, St. Bonaventure, recently got hired as a shooting coach there. I think he'll be spending a lot of time with him. They've got a really good development staff. They've been through that. Um, it wouldn't shock me at all to see them be very careful with him next year on load management and things like that because he's going to get a lot stronger. I mean, we're going to talk about Scoot Henderson and I've known Scoot since he was an eighth grader, basically a ninth grader. And if his body transformation in the last two years has been unbelievable. And so you, you look at he went into the G League at 17. He's 19 now. You think about the body change that Victor's going to have. But I think anybody that's read about how he's been trained, what they did, they're so far ahead of the game for most people that age, what they did with his feet, what they did with his ankles, that mobility, that stability. You know, obviously you never say never to an injury. Nobody thought Chet Holmgren would get hurt in the first play of a of a glorified summer league game uh, out west last year and missed the season. Things happen. But this guy's instincts, his quickness, his feel are just enormous. But he's young. And, and to watch him in this Monaco session of that Monaco series and see how they went after him and how they there were times he didn't have the strength in the lower body to fight back. And, and he can hold you off with his lower body offensively because he can fight you off when you started nailing him. And he's like a lot of big guys, John. He, he does not like you getting into his lower body. He does not like you sitting on front of him and, and, and getting into him. He, he's, he can catch the ball over the top, but he doesn't like it. That, makes, that doesn't make him uncommon. That makes him very common for most bigs. But I think they'll take their time with him, and I think he'll be fantastic. We're talking to Tom Crean, former Marquette coach, went to the Final Four, Indiana coach, Georgia coach, analyst, uh, kind enough to give us his time. Uh, but to Brandon Miller and Scoot Henderson, the guys that, mm-hmm. you know, some people see one of them going at two, the other going at three, vice versa. Uh, those two guys, who do you want to talk about first? Well, let's go with Brandon Miller. Um, okay. Let's go with him. I mean, again, you're looking at those two guys. They could pull a shocker somewhere. That I don't know if there's anybody – that really lines up uh, with where their team is right now, where Portland is, if they keep that pick. I mean, you, you know as well as anybody, there's always, there's always likelihood that they'll get an offer sometime tomorrow or they're sitting on one now that they have to make a decision on, and they'll trade that, especially if they can get a guy that is a legit number two score uh, to, to Damian Lillard if they decide to keep him. But Miller has got uh, tremendous shooting ability. Um, he's like a lot of guys. Uh, he manufactures shots. He invents shots that he doesn't need to take. Uh, and so, therefore, they become off balance. They, he shoots them off his right foot, you know, rather than getting squared up because he's a shot maker. But when he lines it up, when he steps in left or right, when he's ready to shoot the ball, when he drives in a state straight line, 
Uh, he's really, really good. And he's got – he's like a lot of guys. I think I said this last week we were talking. He's like he, – he's not real good on the left side of his body right now. He loses the ball when he goes to his left. He, he'll drive into traffic. He gets off balance. Uh, not as good crossing it over to his left hand as he is to his right. Uh, a lot of times he'll try to make plays where he leads with his right foot. And then he starts fading to his left because he's a left foot dominant guy. So he'll struggle with that. So he's going to need, uh, he's going to need the, the, the coaching that, that you get in the NBA of doing it right every time. But this dude, I mean, he went to South Carolina this year right after everything kind of broke publicly for him and, and made a game-winning bucket at the end. I think he had over 40 points in the game. Uh, he's just a legitimate, bona fide scorer who plays hard. For a, and for a big guy, he does a pretty good job of staying low defensively. He still opens up way too quick. But as far as, like, help side ability, having awareness, being able to guard the dribble some, he's going to have to be able to do it on guards but at that level. But he's pretty good. And he's a little bit ahead of schedule, I would say, defensively for that age, too. I'm trying to figure out how Scoot Henderson and Damian Lillard fit together on the court. And maybe you can you can address that. Do sure. those guys fit in your mind? They do, and I'll tell you why. Because in my mind, because last year, when you look at when you and, and there's some there's some concerns with last year versus this year for Scoot with improvement to me. But the one thing he did that was so different than this year is he was on the floor a lot with Dyson Daniels, who's in New Orleans, and Jaden Hardy, who's in Dallas. And there were numerous times that he did not have the ball in his hands, and the ball would come to him on offense. And so he'd get catch-and-shoot shots. Like, I would think, again, I'm not in Portland, and I'm not, I'm not Scoot's agent. I like him a lot. We knew him from Georgia. We tried to recruit him. I think he's an excellent person, but, and, and he's, a, he's got unreal speed and explosion. I mean, just unbelievable where that's at. But I would almost want him off the ball as much as possible right now with a good backcourt so that he could use that speed and quickness to attack closeouts. Because, because that's one thing that he didn't – he doesn't do a great job of that. And I think that's something that he's going to need. I think, he, I think he's going to have to become a much better catch-and-shoot shooter when he's waiting on the ball and he's stepping into it left or right. Uh, he's a way better shooter. And, and I think he needs more of that. I think, it, I think it's going to benefit, whether it's Portland, uh, especially when you look at Simons and you look at, I thought the jump that Shaden Sharp made from the beginning of the year to the end of the year was totally, uh, it, it, I don't want to say it was disregarded nationally, but it certainly mm-hmm. wasn't talked about enough. Like, he got better. And, I mean, you talk about the explosiveness. He started to read the game better. He can shoot the ball. You put Scoot in that lineup. And the reason Scoot's going to be so successful, I think, in the NBA early is because it's darn near impossible to guard him one-on-one when he's coming downhill. So you can load up on him because he's not a great shooter at times, and, and he doesn't want to make the easy pass. And I do think he still struggles in traffic trying to make the passes that he's got to make. And the speed of the NBA game, I don't, they can say whatever they want about, about the G League, the speed of the NBA game is night and day just like it is from college. And I think it's going to be different for him to get used to those things. And I think the more that he can play in space, not in traffic, where he doesn't have to deal with all of that, where he can get the ball on kickouts and make plays, I think it's going to be good for his growth if, that's, if it ends up being important. You, you know, you made me think about something. You know, you in college are often trying to project 
high school or high-level club kids into a college situation. Now we're talking about college kids into a uh, high-level NBA situation. Uh, when you when you examine those things, what are you looking for? Does it change? Is it different for you as I say that? Like, you know, you're looking for a club kid who's going to contribute in a college situation versus maybe how is a guy going to project to the NBA? Is it athleticism? Is it skills? Is it intangibles? Is it all of that? Well, it's all of that, and it starts with this for me. I mean, outside of this, now, the speed is, a, is a, just like shooting, okay, makes up for a multitude of sins, as they say. Speed, okay, makes up for a lot of things, and he's got that. So do you have speed? Do you have quickness? But here it is even more than that, and this is what so many guys are missing, and college and young players. They're missing alertness and awareness. They're missing being able to do two things at once or go from one thing to the other. Like when I say two things at once, help and recover without popping your feet. Uh, being able to switch on the pick and roll and then block the big out as he's rolling to the basket or take him away in a switch rather than just watching the guy drive the ball. The alertness and the awareness is going, it, it, it's not going up, it's going down. So the guys that have that, the guys at a young age that have that alertness, that awareness, especially defensively, it, offensively it's spatial, it's the, it's the spacing. It's being able to cut and move without the ball. Uh, it's being able to react to the offensive glass. But defensively is where you get beat. Because you start ball watching in the NBA, somebody's getting an open three or they're getting a back cut layup or dunk, right? And so you've got to have that awareness. Shooting and length are always going to make up for a lot of things. But if you have awareness, and then the other thing that goes in with that, John, is do you have balance, like lower body strength? Like right now, like Scoot's a great example. He's got tremendous strength. If there's one thing he improved on from last year to this, it would be his strength. I'm not sure he's any more explosive because he was already explosive. There's such an upside for him to gain more athletically. When you, see, when you would see him as a freshman or sophomore in high school, it was a joke how athletic he was. I had Anthony Edwards at Georgia, and he was the same way, right? Like when he was in high school, it was just ridiculous. Well, we got Anthony to Georgia – and he realized, as much as we did, that he wasn't close to the athlete that he could be. And he's still not at 21. He's becoming that. Scoot's the same way. Scoot is stronger. I'm not sure he's more athletic. I think when he gets into an NBA, if they're, if they're dead serious about training that lower body, about, about improving his hip flexibility, okay, about getting him stronger, getting his change direction where it's got to be even better, because I think it's taken a little bit of a backseat to his explosiveness and driving. And they build that, and then the thing that I think he's got to have that I don't see right now, John, is I don't think he's got great vision. And some of that shows up in his decision-making. Some of that shows up in his ability to move the ball from one side to the other. I think that's going to be stuff that's going to be absolutely crucial for him. So all those things we're talking about, speed, quickness, alertness, awareness, balance, vision, those are the things that change players. Tom Crane with us, uh, former Georgia coach, Marquette coach, Indiana coach. Uh, I have to ask you, like, you, you recruit a lot of these guys uh, that will end up drafted tomorrow, and you're probably mm -hmm. seeing guys that you saw when they were in high school or playing for a club team, and, and now you get to see kind of what they turned out and, you know, where they stand at the next level. That has to be surreal for you and other coaches that kind of watch the, per like, the herd of players that you recruited a few years ago now getting drafted. Well, you just, it, it's going so fast. And, and to have guys like we've had 
you know, whether Marquette, we had one early entry at Marquette and Dwayne Wade, and then at, at Indiana, we had numerous early entries. And then at Georgia, my last two guys there were Nick Claxton, who left. We had him one year after his sophomore year he left to go to Brooklyn, and then Anthony Edwards, obviously, after one year. And, and what you have to be able to do with those guys it, when you're recruiting them is you have to be able to project what it's going to take for them to get where they want to go. They all want to be one and done. And at the very least, they want to be two and out, okay? Nobody's thinking about going to college for three years, let alone four. I mean, they can say what they want, but that's the way that it is, especially it's even gotten into the, the upper mid-major level. People think they're leaving that quick. So you have to have a plan for that. And when I watch a lot of these guys that are coming out now, I'm like, where the heck was the plan? Because they haven't improved their athleticism the way that they needed to. Their shooting is not there. For the big guys, so few of them can go out on the perimeter and guard, let alone handle the ball or pass it. You're not getting in an NBA game of any substance when it matters if you can't go out and guard on the perimeter, let alone the post if you're a big man. And you're not going to stay in the game if you don't have some tangible skill like rebounding, playing out of the elbow and a drive or pass, being able to shoot the ball. And, like, development, that's, for me, sitting back, especially this year being on television and watching so much of it, that's the stuff that ticks me off. It's so many of these guys, like, they're not getting better. So when they get to the NBA, thank God there's three two-ways now in the NBA rather than just two two-ways. And thank God that most of these teams all have a, a, a G League team right in their vicinity so that they can be coached not only by the G League coaches but by their pro coaches. Because right now, like, this is such a huge developmental draft. Uh, and, and, and obviously there's some huge names in it, and there's going to be a number one pick, a number 10 pick, a number 20 pick, and so on and so forth. But getting guys into a rotation by January or February, that's going to be few and far between in this draft. And a lot of it is because guys have not made the jumps that they needed to make skill-wise and not just strength-wise, but like we said with Scoop, getting better athletically. The worst thing a great athlete can think is that he doesn't have to do more to build his athleticism. It'd be like it'd be like a, it'd be a competitive bodybuilder thinking he could take a week off from the weight. Now he's not going <laughs> to do that. Yeah, it, it, he's not right. And it's the same thing with athleticism. Guys start thinking they can jump and dunk that they don't have to improve their feet. They don't have to improve their hips. They don't have to have more shoulder flexibility. Yes, you do, and you better have people that are dead serious about building that in them every day. And I think that's what these guys have got to look forward to. And I think you're going to look back at this draft, like most drafts, and in two years, and you're going to see some real shocks two years from now out of some of the guys that will get drafted tomorrow night or not drafted. Yeah. The Blazers have a couple of late picks. They have one late in the first round at 23, in addition to having number three. Um, I'm I'm curious about UCLA, Jaime Jaquez. You know, where does Mm -hmm. he fit? Does he fit? Can he get a shot off in the NBA? Oh, I think so. He's so strong. You know what he's got? We lost Kareem there for a second. Let's see if we can get him back. Uh, I, I'm dying to know what he thinks of Hawkes, and let's see if we've got him back here in short order. Hate when that happens. You know what he's got? And then I'm going, yeah, I want to know. Oh, Coach, I think we got you back. Go ahead. Go ahead. Start yeah, over. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, Hawkes has got he, – he's got tremendous ability – he plays with speed. He's got wide shoulders, and he hits you with that shoulder. And when he comes at you, okay, I've never had to guard him, right? But bottom line, he comes at you, and he hits you. 
And, and you, one thing I like about him is he's not afraid of the contact, but a lot of guys, when they get hit, they drop their head, they drop their eyes. He doesn't do that. And so he can take the hit, he rebounds, he moves without the ball. I think the NBA spacing, you know, uh, UCLA was very much a college three-point line in the end team. And a lot of college teams are like that, but they very much played at that college line. I think the NBA spacing is really gonna is really gonna help Hawkins. I, I really do it. He could be, uh, he's the kind of guy that could be this year's Christian Brown that gets in a rotation on a really good team and helps you go deep into the playoffs. Yeah, and I, 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 are there guys that you saw in the last year that you think you know? Give me a sleeper pick, somebody nobody's talking about that you think is going to have a nice NBA career. I know you see some kids like that. I think in, in the case of like with Portland, I would say if Omax Prosper from Marquette is sitting there or if Noah Clowney is sitting there at 23, mm-hmm. I think those are picks that a year from now they'd be in the lottery. And that's how I felt about Nick Claxton when he came out. He went 31 to Brooklyn. If he waited one more year, he'd have been in the lottery. Right, for his age, because he was ready to go guard at the NBA level. Omax Prosper from Marquette. Has got he, he, he's he's a rare guy in the sense that six eight six nine, he can defend the perimeter. He can defend beyond the three point line. He's like Kawhi Leonard in the way that he can defend you with either hand. Like I thought Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Jimmy Butler for bigger wings when they came into the pros were unbelievably good at being able to defend you with either hand. I'm not trying to say Omax Prosper is as good as those guys, but he can defend you. He can block shots. He can challenge a shot with either hand. He can play on both sides of his body. He's got a hitch in his shot that's got to get fixed. You know, when he shoots the ball, he kind of hitches it, and it and it turns out to the right. And I was charting this, that probably 80% of his perimeter misses go to the right because of that hitch. So he's got to get that fixed, but I think he's the kind of guy that could get in and be on a, on a really good team this year and contribute. And then Noah Clowney, the jump he made from senior year in high school playing club basketball to what he did as a freshman at Alabama was ridiculous. I mean, he became a much better shooter. He was a guy that did very little perimeter play, very little perimeter shooting as a junior in high school. Through his senior year into his freshman year at Alabama, he shot a lot of threes. He didn't shoot a high percentage, but he, but the shot looked good. You know, when your misses are in the rim um, and they're not always off to the side, those are sometimes when you watch a guy and you see a shot, you want to see how he misses. And you, and if they're in the rim, they're pretty good. Noah Clowney can block shots. He can run. He can defend. And both those kids are tough. And then there's a kid over in Barcelona that just won a championship, James Najee, who's he's probably going to be a backup for a couple of years. But eventually uh, he is going to be a guy that is going to be able to play in the NBA because he can go outside and guard. He could, he's an unbelievable sprint roller and I would put him uh, Derek Lively I think is the best role guy the best sprint roller in college right now going into the draft tomorrow now he would probably be right behind him coming from Barcelona and those guys are all young and I think those are guys that are going to be steals at, at that range in the draft Tom Crane you're the best I, I'm going to watch the draft differently now because of you so thank you for that and we'll bring you back on and uh, I hope you have yourself a good summer well I appreciate it too John thanks a lot for having me there he is. Coach at Indiana took Marquette to the Final Four. Uh, also uh, at Georgia, 
it won't be long before Tom Crean is coaching somewhere in college basketball. Now we're going to watch the draft a little differently. Steven and I will kick it around a little more. Blazer fans, I want to hear from you. What did you hear from Tom Crean that you liked? Who do you like at number three? Who do you like at 23? 503-417-7575. Steven, have you been following the saga of this uh, missing Titanic submersible? The, uh, uh, yeah, the I, Titan. I have the last two starting last night. I, I hadn't really heard about it. I knew I saw some things about the Titanic. I didn't really read into it. And then my wife was like, yeah, Steven, you need to check this out. Like, you would love this story. This would be such up your alley. And I've been checking it out today. It is fascinating. There is, uh, I can't, I mean, it's like nightmare fuel, like thinking about it. Um, you know, they're down to hours of oxygen left. And for people who don't know, there was a submersible that was, uh, carrying a, a billionaire and, uh, you know, f- some other crew members down to see the Titanic uh, at 13,000 feet below sea level. And um, apparently uh, it has gone missing. And uh, now they are hearing banging sounds every 30 minutes. And uh, they are uh, they're saying they don't know the source of the noise. But uh, the Ocean Gate Expeditions... Um, Submersible, it's you know submerged Sunday morning, supposed to travel down to the Titanic wreckage, sitting at uh, about twelve thousand five hundred feet of depth. An hour and forty five minutes later, it lost contact with the surface ship. It has four days of emergency oxygen supply, and they're down now to hours. It can only be opened from the outside. Problem being, even if they do locate it, that very few watercraft can go to that depth without imploding like a normal submarine can't get down that deep so there's some questions about how do they get it to the to the surface Uh, they have searched the surface with planes and search and rescue and they don't seem to find it like you know there are five ways apparently that it has to uh, drive itself back to the surface level but um man can you imagine i mean first of all i said this to anna this morning i said can you imagine being trapped inside this submersible. And she said, I don't even want to think about it. And I'm like, it would be horrific. I am thinking about it. I am thinking about what would I do if I were inside of this thing. And, oh, by the way, who are these people who are going down to the bottom of the ocean to see the Titanic? It kind of blows my mind. You know, They're paying $250,000 each to go down and see the wreckage. Just go watch a YouTube video on it. What are you doing? Oh, it's it is it's my hell it it would be like it would be terrible like the the closed like just how close they are to everybody and just that one little compartment it's just oh i would i like i get you know my i get anxious thinking about it i'm like you john it's like i think about it i'm like man i am anxious already thinking about this i i it is fascinating though like to have that kind of money and be like i'm going to go see the titanic and now you know this kind of happens and they it's so far down they can't just send regular things to go get it it's it's weird a Canadian surveillance aircraft has detected underwater noises in the search area. So they're just saying that some remote-operated vehicles involved in the search uh, are trying to determine the origin of the sound, but so far they have not figured out anything about it. They don't know where it is. I'm kind of—I have so many dumb questions, and some of these are probably dumb. Like, why not have like an? Do they not have an Apple AirTag attached to this thing? Like, you know, they have no GPS. No ability, you know, they've lost communication. I guess when you're at that depth and you're in something that is uh, made of the uh, material that it is, 
Um, you know, it is apparently the most lightweight and cost-efficient deep-sea submersible ever made. And uh, it was made by a company in Everett, Washington that developed it. But down five people aboard. It's been missing. Uh, not the first to risk their lives for at a chance to glimpse uh, the, the shipwreck. But um, I just don't, I don't know. What do you think that's about? What do you think it like going down there and getting a long way from anything that can give you get you help? It just so you can get your eyes on the Titanic. What is that about? I mean, I guess if you have that type of money, that it'd be something that not many people can go see. Like they would have the experience of saying, "I saw the actual Titanic," rather than watched a video, like you said on YouTube. I don't, I don't get it. Like it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me. And the fact that this kind of stuff can happen. It is one reason why I would never do it. Like, if, if if you're so far down in the ocean, they can't find you. Like, that's a potential hazard, and you're gonna pay two hundred fifty thousand dollars to do it. It doesn't make any sense. Like, why why that would be so interesting to go see? I, I, just, I just don't get it, John. Like, I'm with you. It doesn't make any sense to me. Here are my other dumb questions. Who pays for the search and rescue? They find the people that are involved in this. And unfortunately, like the prevailing theory is that that maybe there was a leak. And the thing just imploded at some level. But uh, we have a former Navy submariner, Ken, who has called in. Ken, you've been in yes, you've sir. been in these you've been in these things. Tell us about it. Yeah. <laughs> what What were your questions? Well, I gotta know. Like, what? It, what? First of all, how do you get over the feeling of being so isolated down there? Like, just the psychology of it. Well. From a Navy standpoint, there's so many levels of filtration from your recruitment to boot camp to submarine school to a basic A school to advanced schools. And you're pretty well put to the test before you ever set foot on a submarine. You know, well, give, it, it, I, I want to know what you thought when you first heard of this story. Like as, as somebody who was a Navy submariner. You know, well, you, you've been there. When, well, for starters, communication, uh, unless unless they were on a tether and they were hardwired to the surface, uh, communication is pretty iffy because you're, you're not doing it by radio. Mm -hmm. And every, every level of temperature difference on the way down, they're called thermoclines. Yeah. Uh, affects the way sound travels through the water. So, you know, down to a few hundred feet, yeah, you can you can pick stuff up, and you can pick stuff up from miles and miles away laterally because the sound will reflect off the surface and it'll bend as uh, it encounters colder water. So you can pick up noise levels from hundreds of miles away. But if you're just going straight down, uh, that can be kind of impenetrable from a, a sonic standpoint. Interesting. Yeah, I I, uh, I I get claustrophobic even thinking about the story. Uh, you know, give me an idea because I had heard that the navy sh navy submarines can only go to certain depths. They just uh, That's you correct. know they, yeah they don't go down to twelve thousand five hundred feet below sea level. Uh, they do not. Well, they they have one that does. Yeah, but windows on those. A, you got windows on those things when you were down there, or no? Uh, 
not unless you count the periscope as a window. <laughs> What's the wildest thing you ever saw in the Navy? <laughs> I'm probably not allowed to say. <laughs> Thank you, Ken. Appreciate you calling in. Thanks for your service. You bet. There's Ken. He's <laughs> not allowed to say, Stephen. Now I want to know more. <laughs> I don't. I don't think I could do it. I. I don't even know if I could be on a ship <laughs> above the water for an extended period of time. Well, I think I've said this before. I'm just the water and the ocean and everything. It's. It's not for me. I'm just not a water guy <laughs> like that. Like open water. I, yeah. I'm out on that. Like if you have a controlled environment, like a pool. Yeah, I'm cool with that. But when you get in open water, that's that's not my that's not my home. That's not you my You know house. what? Yeah. You sound like me. This is the exact conversation I had with Anna and I told her, I said, I don't belong out there. I don't belong amid those dinosaurs that are in the water. <laughs> I don't know what they are. They you know, these are this is not my place. It's fair game. It's fair game whatever happens out there. Like you're on their turf, right? Just yeah. like if a shark were to start walking around on land, I feel like it's fair game whatever happens to him. But that, you know, they don't do that. They don't walk on earth yet. Uh, it's a good point. I I I'm, I don't disagree with you. Like scuba divers, go scuba dive, but it, don't tell me to scuba dive. I'm. It's not for me. It's not my thing. Uh, we talked to Tom Crean earlier. Are you feeling? I'm feeling a little more excited about the 23rd pick after hearing him and the opportunities, like the potential players that could be there, that are that would be lottery picks if they just waited one more year. Like you know, there might be some more opportunity at 23 that the Blazers are going to be intrigued by. I know Damian Lillard's not going to be happy because he's going to get, you know, two 20-year-olds added to him, uh, you know, in the lineup on picture day. And so he's probably not going to be thrilled about it, but I, I, I'm i wondering who the Blazers are going to get at 23. Yeah, I think at 23, you know, Tom Crean hit on it. There, There's some guys that fit some needs for the Portland Trailblazers. And, you know, we, he started off talking about Jaime Hawkins, and I think he'd be a great fit. I've talked about this numerous times. I think he's going to be a really good NBA player, maybe not a starter, maybe even a potential starter, but, like, He's just a baller, and he he's gonna do whatever it has to do to get the job done, and he's gonna work on his game. And I think you know, like you said, the openness of the court is gonna spread it out, so he's gonna learn how to be an open, you know, catch and shoot jump shooter. He's gonna play hard defense. I think he's gonna do all the little things that you want you know, a guy to do that can play on the wing. Never gonna be a star player, but one of those guys that you can play in a big time game, and you know he's not gonna make mistakes. Uh, the guy that I forgot his name and uh, Crane brought up Olivier Max's process. Uh, he's he's oh, yeah Omax Omax. He is he's a giant. He's six foot eight, six foot nine, but really long arms, really big. And this is the, one, the most important thing. When you're a big guy in the NBA, you have to guard. You have to guard on the perimeter. And Tom Crean said that you're not going to be you're not going to get on the NBA court if you can't. And uh, Omax, he can do that. That's one of those guys where he can be you know. I dare I say, like a all league type defender. Now, offensively, he's not very good. He's not a great shooter. He uh, he's okay at cutting to the hoop, but defensively, he would fit a perfect need for the Portland Trailblazers. And I think there's a couple guys like that at the 23rd pick that the Blazers could you know draft and then even say, you know what, you're going to play a little role this season coming to next year and f- fill that wing role uh, off the bench. Well, it would be exciting to see what happens at the end of the We interrupt this podcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.